I'm Dan Morris, and you're listening to Spoiler Country. Hey, hey, people of Earth, it's time to enter the Spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Kenrick. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on Spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. I am Johnny Horstein. I got today with me, Melissa Searcha, and today she talked to the one and the only, the Dan Waters, about some new project that he's got going. Melissa, how's it going? It's going good. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I, uh, my wife and I have been shiplopping some walls in our house and painting, so we've been staying up all like late night, like putting up boards in the walls and painting stuff, so I'm exhausted, but I'm doing good. Nice. Well, I'm glad you can make it today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked with Dan about his new project, right? Yeah, I did. He was great. Um, and I have to say, you know, it was really nice of him to chat because it was actually like three in the morning in England oh, when I called him. <laughs> and I had no idea that he was not in the States. Otherwise, I, you know, I would have felt worse. But um, it was very <laughs> sweet. And he he was um, he was a big uh, supporter about it. And yeah, we we chatted about um, some new comics he has coming out. Um, Homesick Pilots was one of them, and you know just his his horror genre and his career, and just yeah, everything um, about comics. It was a really fun uh, interview. That is awesome. So what do you say we just sit back and listen to Dan Waters in his own words? Spoiler Country, and I'm Melissa Searcha. Today, I'd like to welcome comic book writer known for Lucifer of the Sandman Universe, Limbo, Coffinbound, Homesick Pilot, and the picture of everything else, Mr. Dan Waters. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here tonight. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. It's uh, it's pretty late London end, but that's the joy of working on American comics. Oh, wow. See, so I wasn't sure if you were actually in the UK currently or in the States. Yeah, no, I'm 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 still like London based, so yeah. we're all we're all locked down at the moment, but pretty used to, to sort of running on American time at this point. Okay. Yeah, well I really appreciate you being on the show tonight. <laughs> so I really want to start off by, you know, talking about your one of your new comic books that's coming out in next month, actually. Homesick Pilots. It's set in the nineties. It's about a girl yeah. who's lead singer of a punk band. She goes missing, finds herself in a traveling haunted house. What can you tell us about the character and the house without giving away any spoilers? Uh, well, I mean, I guess the, the the premise of the book is is pretty much as you laid it out. It's so the character is Annie, and she's yeah, she's the singer and guitarist of the Homesick Pilots, which are a high school punk band. She's 
sort of pissed off. She's she's seventeen, so she's she's all the things <laughs> that seventeen year olds are. There's definitely a lot of sort of yeah. I definitely drew from more personal experience for that book than I have for most of my stuff. Um, I think seventeen year olds are horrible people. <laughs> Yeah, no, I that's was not, a horrible seventeen-year-old. That's not year old. fair, but I know I was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, some of the some of the these these guys are definitely better than others. But yeah, the idea is, is that is that the band are looking for somewhere to throw a gig illegally, and they end up breaking into this house, which which turns out to be a to be a haunted house, which doesn't quite go the way it normally does. There's <laughs> enough sort of bloodshed and stuff to go around, but it's the idea that we find she has a connection to this place, as in she's on a similar sort of wavelength to it. So they, they sort of yeah. they like each other, essentially, and they sort of fill each other's blank spaces. So, so it's kind of where it all goes from there. Okay, very cool. So music, I'm guessing, clearly plays a big role in the story. Yeah, what- the- what songs did you have on your playlist when you were writing this? Oh man, I mean, Catherine and I actually put together. We've put together a playlist which we need to like actually put out into the world. What was I listening to? I went back and listened to a lot of a lot of the stuff I was listening to when I was sort of seventeen. Which granted wasn't all all around in nineteen ninety four, but I guess like the homesick pilots, like it's definitely. I was listening to a lot of Jawbreaker, which sort of seemed that's the sort of correct mix between being punk and also being very sort of melancholy which is definitely the sort of the sort of tone that, that fits the book the descendants the ramones mm. a lot of that kind of but definitely there's like definitely a sort of bubblegum element to to the book and casper sort of leans more on the sort of like grunge stuff a lot of a lot of, a lot of grunge a lot of sort of like riot girl and stuff like oh, that nice yeah you can't have uh, the 90s without grunge for sure <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure yeah i mean I, th- I find it interesting the sort of the sort of like crossover in in scenes and stuff back then because there is a there is an edge of punk where it can be quite purist which is mm-hmm. a which is a very sort of strange thing for a scene like that to do where it started out very you know very much like we're going to do whatever the hell we want and then it sort of turns into something where it's like well no if you listen to metal that sucks and this sucks and that sucks and you know if you sign to a bigger label then that sucks which you know there's philosophies behind that, but the the whole the whole grunge thing as an extension of punk or as something that plugs into punk, I find I find an interesting sort of evolution. Yeah, that was sort of like we're going to slam punk and metal together with a bit of acid rock. Right. Yeah, and then I think at some point, if I can remember correctly, I'm reaching now back to my younger days. I, the ska kind of was came into the picture and was sort of tying into punk oh, a yeah, little bit sure. as well. I, I think that was there from the beginning, right? Like the clash. The clash mm-hmm. was, like that, that. I mean, if you look at the, the UK side of things, the 77 stuff, they were all like massively like uh, in, into that stuff. Like the whole yeah. sex, the shop sex, which, you know, is where the pistols mm-hmm. started, was on the King's Road. And that was a massive sort of like, like, uh, jamaican community around there and like i know they, they've talked a lot about sort of just going out and buying reggae records and that's what they were mainly listening to yeah so had definitely had that influence you could you could hear it in in their music and then in in the ska music as well you could hear the punk influences and and a little bit of metal as well but i think mostly punk yeah for sure but then it's weird because then it's the sort of like generations after that who then sort of 
on certain ends they try and sort of like clarify everything down and it's mm-hmm. it's something you see like again and again that happens across all sorts of genres where they'll try and go like all right this this counts and this doesn't so if you do it this way then you're doing it properly and if you're doing it any <laughs> other way then it then it's wrong and it just gets duller and duller and duller as the generations proceed yeah what well, kind of defeats the purpose of what all forms of rock music really set out to do you know is not to avoid you know avoid labels and and not be put into a box yeah and, and have fun that's the, that's the yeah bit which, well, that that's the bit which can get forgotten really quickly yeah no absolutely well the 90s was an interesting you know decade i lived at i was a teenager in the 90s we were sort of clinging to aspects of the 80s still but at the same time going in like a complete opposite direction did you have any bits of 80s nostalgia that seeped into this story uh, i mean i wasn't there in the 80s okay. <laughs> I, was born in, I was born in 91 so okay but that said casper and i yeah casper is very much a sort of a, a product of the 80s um, he's a little bit older than me mm-hmm. and our first book limbo which is definitely, uh, you know, a, a lot of Limbo's DNA is in is in Homesick Pilots. It's not it's not a sequel. They're not set in the same world or anything like that. But Homesick Pilots definitely originated from us sitting down and thinking about doing doing a second Limbo and then deciding to do this instead. Okay. And Limbo was a very '80s book, and Casper and I bonded in the first place over our love of sort of '80s '90s mm-hmm. horror stuff because there's a there's a wild sort of freedom and a lot of that especially the sort of films that were coming out like Brian Yuzner and Cronenberg and mm-hmm. all those sort of things like those really good ones and then also the really awful ones uh, we both <laughs> love all of that stuff and and that's really what we drew on for for that and yeah there's plenty of that in this like the the house films have you seen those those are like sort of yep. sort of oscillate between the so good it's bad and just bad so yeah, I think I was just I think the house film started in the eighties. I'm double guessing myself now, but yeah, I, I want to say that it did. Actually, I think you're right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yes, uh, and like Return of the Living Dead is obviously is another really big influence, which is a very very eighties film. Oh, that's good. Now I'm a big George Romero fan, so that's good to hear. I love. I mean, it's it's kind of I think one of those. He's one of those writers that it's kind of hard not to be influenced by him if you're going to write just because he defined such a a niche you know genre with the zombie films that he that he did so i definitely think that oh, yeah. Romero Rem- yeah. is also like i think one of the biggest sort of like the way he sort of innovated stuff was was crazy like the the, the night of the living dead hit such a chord i think because it took this social angle which mm-hmm. people hadn't seen horror do i mean so horror's always had a huge social anger it's always been about tapping into things we're afraid of but he sort of got there first when it came to when it came to the zombie thing and he sort of did it again with 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 dawn of the dead and the sort of consumerism metaphor mm-hmm. in that but then like other stuff he did as well which is like less sort of loaded but like martin which is mm-hmm. weird sort of is he isn't he vampire film where it's just about mm-hmm. this sort of crazy crazy teenager he's sort of stabbing people with syringes right. um <laughs> And like that was again, like I think, just like a really, really interesting take on the on the vampire genre. So he always sort of innovated, and that's I always think that's the coolest stuff, even if it doesn't work. Yeah, just to attempt it and to to some, I mean, it's still you're pulling it off, even you know, it's all subject to interpretation, I guess, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think as as long as you put something out into the world that has 
a place and like wasn't there before you've you've done something at least <laughs> you've yeah. made your presence known uh, yeah exactly <laughs> well there's been a, a ton of hype and for homesick pilots and lots of really positive early reviews one reviewer said sleek original horror mixed with 90s teen drama would you say that's an accurate description yeah i don't see why not yeah there's a lot of stuff it's sort of the book definitely sort of uh, transforms as it goes so we're throwing a lot of stuff into it that, that i don't think people expect even at this point mm. okay uh, even That's... people who've seen this the first couple okay and so when you you reunited with with casper wingard you've worked with him on Lego. Yeah. yeah yeah what was it like reuniting and collaborating again i mean so, so limbo was for both of us it was our first sort of it was our first create our own thing it was our first sort of presence in the industry we we did that book knowing no one really in comics and mm-hmm. with no idea how the industry really worked we were flying by the seat of our pants so much mm-hmm. but we also were doing it with the sort of and we, we we but we were doing it with the sort of network of people around us who who were who were very good and, and still very good friends like ryan ryan o'sullivan we were really really close with and working with who's who's one of the writers in in white noise my my studio and uh, yeah, we, we we didn't have much of a clue what we were doing, but yeah. the book was something we really just enjoyed making and we had a real blast with it. And then it led to other things for both of us. And he kind of got pulled towards Marvel. I got kind of pulled towards DC um, <laughs> and we ended up not working together for, for a good long while now, which was which is always kind of weird because we always kind of considered ourselves a creative team as well. Yeah. Did you two meet during comic, like doing comics, or did you know each other beforehand? Yeah. No. I mean, we we met because we because we both wanted to do comics. Uh, We both did some work for a sort of like small micro publisher, and and from there we 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 met each other, and we basically we we ended up as a creative team because we were the ones who could hold out in the pub longest. (laughs) (laughs) So so we start talking about all these all these ideas in the pub, and and it turned into limbo. People, but, I but, like to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we were we were a bit younger back then, and uh, yeah, I mean, so so coming back together was was always on the cards. It was always something we talked about, and we also talk like almost every day, at least sort of through Messenger and stuff like that. So because you know we're good friends, so so we've always been. It's never it was never sort of thing of like falling out of contact and then just like going like, oh hey, what what are you doing at the moment? Like I've always we've always known what each other's have had on, on on our plates and we've always been trying to look for a sort of place and the right sort of place and time to come back together and do something and like i said like we thought that was going to be a, another limbo book but we got too excited about homesick pilots <laughs> instead <laughs> so we, we decided to make this yeah we call that chasing plot bunnies and the author book novel world <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> yeah plot bunnies when you're like shiny new idea but clearly yeah. it's worked out for you <laughs> Yeah, we, we. I mean, we chased it all the way to the end. I think that's. I think that's the trick, right? Not yeah. Just, um, it's easy. It's easy to chase them as soon as as soon as the current one gets difficult. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You get that sentiment as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then you have, before you know it, you have you know nine unfinished novels oh, in front yeah. of you. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you're like first plotting it and or conceptualizing it did you did you come up with like the setting and the genre first or did the character come to you first or was it kind of both like symbiotic i think it was it, no it was it was definitely the characters actually because the so the homesick pilots the three of them 
which is uh, Ami, Rip, and Buzz, and and they all, you know, they've all got sort of different crap going on in their lives, which which sort of pushed them towards towards punk and and towards each other as as a sort of band, but really they're they're a family unit. And we talked about bringing in these punk kids for the second Limbo, and Casper drew them. And it's a thing which which I find happens a lot with sort of artists is they'll draw something and then it, as a writer it really sparks mm-hmm. ideas and you see these characters and once they have faces suddenly they have these like they they immediately have these really full fleshed out personalities. Yeah. Um, so so we had these kids which were going to be you know a sort of secondary secondary story and all of a sudden they, we sort of looked at them and oh no these these guys are, are more than that they they deserve their own proper story. So it all kind of came out of that, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a strange one because books like this, they're so collaborative, but we spent so long on the phone talking about ideas <laughs> and things we wanted to do that it's hard to find those or remember those exact nexus points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those certain like sparks of creativity. Yeah. yeah. And So how many issues do you have planned for this series? Is it going to be ongoing or do you have like an yeah, end goal? It's, I mean, it's ongoing and, you know, the end, which is always the the ideal, <laughs> ideal yeah. way. So how long we get there will be sort of defined by, you know, how, how long we can keep doing this and how and how long we want to keep doing it as well. I'm always very, very in favor of things having ends. I like endings. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a I feel like there's a there's a stigma about endings in this industry in particular because things used to run for sort of. 100 issues and that's not really viable anymore but also i don't know many things i'm gonna get myself in trouble now because someone <laughs> someone i know is gonna have a really good one and i'm gonna have forgotten it but i don't i can't think of many hundred issue things that are just good from beginning to end yeah yeah it's so, hard to keep up with i mean even you know it's the same with television as well it, mm-hmm. you know people always get upset when a, a season or when a show gets canceled or when the, the writers choose to end it, essentially not get canceled, yeah. but, but, but they always have to clarify, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they I know. They always, always say, do. no, they always <laughs> have to go, no it's not canceled. Cause it's a, it's a, it's a weird, I think there's a weird expectation or, or sort of just general assumption that you want to do something forever. Yeah. Which, which I, I don't think is actually the case for, for most storytellers. Like right. I, I'm pretty sure most novelists oh. are, are, are ecstatic when they finish their book. <laughs> do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, well, I, I think at some point, too, I mean, you know, readers, you know, maybe that, that don't know, like, they're not writers, they don't understand that sometimes you just get burnt out on a certain world, if you're in it too long, and then you don't want the story to suffer for that, you know, you kind of want to end it when things are still popular, and still people are still interested in it, and then give it some finality, and then you can move on to something else, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure, like, and, and also, I think, generally, I mean, the, you know, there are things that are a little bit more amorphous and, and and flexible but generally speaking when you're telling a story it's because you've got something you want to explore for yourself mm-hmm. um, like a sort of i don't know say thesis and i make stories <laughs> sound really boring but <laughs> it, it kind of is it's like you have this sort of idea of of something or you go like oh what would happen if xyz and you kind of want to explore that idea and once you've done that especially for yourself once you kind of told yourself that story mm-hmm. um then yeah i think i think you, t- you tend to be kind of done it's you know um it's yeah. easy to sort of fall in love with the characters and and let it sort of churn onwards just for the sake of of, of spending more time with them but i don't yeah. think a lot of things 
benefit from that. Yeah. And and you can also, there's ways to leave it, you know, open-ended, I guess, in a sense where, you know, it's the end, but you can revisit it, you know, especially when you're writing horror or fantasy. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you can always go back 10, you know, five, 10 years from now and be like, you know what, I'm going to reopen this and, you know, base it off of a different character or, you know, a, a, yeah, a character mean, in that universe. Yeah, I mean, we. so I've just wrapped the second volume of Coffin Bound, which is uh, oh, cool. my, my other image book. And and that book is one that we're we're very much treating that way. In that we've done two arc, we've done two books in two years. We've done two volumes, and I mean the book's called Coffin Bound, and that's very much the the, the premise. Yeah, <laughs> is that it... every every volume is about death. It's about someone's death. So it lets us explore different facets of death in each volume, but also each volume, when it's done, that story's over. So we can sort of revisit it whenever we want to come back to it but we're not sort of beholden to telling 30 issues of the same story because it's just yeah. not that. Yeah. No, I read the first issue and I was like, oh, wow, this is different, you know, and like in a good way, in a good way. Like I, I oh, just never you. read anything like that before. I love the the vulture as a character. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting and different. And the character um, I, this, I was actually going to ask you this um, about because you you actually create really unique female characters. Oh, which, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and so Izzy and Coffin Bound, you know, is a very rough around the edges, you know, character. And like I said, I've only read the first issue, so I, I'm curious to see how how it plays out as it as it goes on. But you know, how do you how do you tackle that? You know, as writing these female characters that are so edgy and different and have like layers to them they're not the stereotypical female that you tend to see in comic books you know so so danny the artist on 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 coffin band she i mean i think she was winding me up <laughs> she asked, yeah. she asked me one time <laughs> she asked me one time when we when we were sort of um, out and about in in new york at one point and she said to me do you think you're good at writing female characters <laughs> and i was like well what do you think you're you're drawing izzy at the moment you know, we created her together. Do you think? Do you think she's a good female character? And she thought about it for a bit, and she said, "She's like, well, like she didn't need to be a female character. Like she's just, she's just a character." And I was like, "Yeah, there you okay. go." <laughs> yeah, I like that. That you can literally switch it out. It doesn't have to be gender specific. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, I think, I think, I don't know. I, uh, just, just treating people like they're people is, mm-hmm. is the bottom line. I think. Yeah. Um, letting them and. I think I think sometimes there's when especially writing into sort of universes where you've got you know a load of classic male characters mm-hmm. um, you know like like the sort of bigger superhero universes then you end up with sort of one female on one one woman on the team and and then there becomes this like pressure for them to represent <laughs> all womankind and then they have right. to be kind of perfect <laughs> and and you know they they kick ass and and all this kind of stuff because it's like look we're 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 giving a kick-ass female but then they actually have no personality because they don't get to like screw up like everyone else right Um, yeah so i think just avoiding any of that sort of malarkey yeah um, she kind of reminds me of there was a movie oh god this was like a 10 years ago probably maybe longer the movie called domino and it was based on the real life uh, lady named Domino, who was a supermodel who turned bounty hunter. I think she passed away before the movie came out, but it was played by Kieran Knightley. And it was such an interesting film because you have this female character who 
it just kind of defies, like you said, non-gender conforming. And it was something different that we hadn't seen in film at the time, I think. But that character kind of reminds me of, of Domino. Man, I haven't seen that film. <laughs> it's a really that, good film. Really, yeah. I mean, I thought, I thought when we started the book, I thought Izzy was going to be more a bit mopier than than she turned out to be. I thought she mm. was going to be a little bit more, maybe a little bit more like the crow, like a little bit sort <laughs> yeah. of like maudlin and, and, and sort of a little bit more joy division. Right. Uh, and she and she didn't end up that way at all. And I think a lot of that's down to Danny. Like she she ended up with a lot of, of Danny's sort of design and obviously she's entirely designed by Danny, but right. but Danny like I, I, I expressed this to, to Danny as well, and she said that she'd actually based Izzy physically on one of her friends who is who is also quite um oh, that's cool. angry and fiery and, and, and stuff and, and so it crept into the writing as well. Which I which I always think is a really interesting thing that can happen without any actual conversation. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, speaking of dark and angry characters, you've also written for Lucifer, uh, the the Sandman series. So I'm curious, did you have to, or did you choose to um, consult with like Neil Gaiman at all? Is it Gaiman or Gaiman? I've heard it both ways. Uh, Gaiman. (laughs) Gaiman. Okay. I say Gaiman, but I've heard other people say Gaiman. I'm like, I don't know if that's right. Uh, Oh, nice. Awesome. (laughs) So you did get to consult with him and and talk to him about where um, he wanted the character to go. Yeah, but like, he wasn't interested in where he wanted it to go, which was nice. Oh. Yeah, when when we sort of started the whole Sandman universe, we 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 met up with Neil in New Orleans of all places. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, and it was I can't do I can't do Fahrenheit, but it was minus seven degrees Celsius. Okay. In New Orleans, which is very cold, and I don't think it had hit that lower temperature before that. Interesting. So, so it was snowing in New Orleans when. when Whoa, that's crazy! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a whole thing, and we and we went out and and spent a few days with him, just like breaking story and stuff. And his it, he he entirely came in and said, "I want to see what you guys can do with these characters. I, I you know I want to see what you, where you guys want to take them." And sort of just gave gave us permission to break all his toys, wow. uh, which is which is which is exactly what you want to hear as a writer as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I was going to ask you, did you feel any pressure, you know, upholding, you know, the original character, but like while still putting your own spin on it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess my sort of reaction to that, any of that kind of pressure is to just kick very hard in my own direction. Because I love Sandman. I love Carrie's Lucifer. I've read those books since I was a teenager. Yeah. It, you know, it's a sort of, I think, tailored all the time with a lot of comic readers and i sort of fell out of comics in my early teens and came back in through my late teens through books like sam and lucifer and and all these you know the sort of vertigo stuff mm-hmm. so so that that stuff was always very dear to me which is why i i sort of looked at them and went well i don't want to go anywhere near any of it and i don't want to do any of that stuff again i don't want to repeat <laughs> any of it i don't want to I don't want my Lucifer to feel like my Carrie's Lucifer mm-hmm. because it's because it's just pointless. Like those those books are so good. I'm not going to improve on them. So I'll just do something in, entirely different. Do your own yeah version of it. And were you just like ecstatic when you got the thumbs up from him? Like after you submitted, you know, your first issue for him, was it? Did it go over well? Oh yeah, for sure. Like it, <laughs> it's definitely a relief. <laughs> I think relief yeah. is the first emotion that comes in. But yeah, it was it it 
I mean, I loved I loved writing that book. It was it was so mm-hmm. fun. Like spend I spent two years. I wrote an issue of that every month for two years, and mm-hmm. that's spending a lot of time with the devil. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's nice to see the different interpretations, I think. Like you said, like, you know, they, the TV show is, is very campy and it's it's got a lot of humor in it. And I, I like that version, too, because it's it's kind of light. And obviously, I think they had to do it that way because for audiences to digest it, you know, on and television. Budget, I would imagine. Yeah, well. budget. Yeah, exactly. But, but no, it's nice to see. Three episodes set in pandemonium with, uh, right. with bankrupts any studio, I think. Right. <laughs> Game of Thrones all over again. I, di- I did notice there is, you know, there's a dark undercurrent that flows through a lot of your comic books. Have you, so you've always been a horror fan. Like, are you, yeah. you been attracted to like the darker stuff? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love horror. I always have. I'm more, I'm way more of a horror fan than a fantasy or a sci-fi fan really not that i don't i love all, all sorts of stuff at the moment I, I mean i've just written two issues of superman wonder woman oh cool uh which i was for the for the future state stuff which is coming out in, in january and february and that i was really really pleased and i sort of told them as well i told dc i was like really pleased that you guys hit me up for this stuff because i've done so many villains <laughs> um it's really it was really cool just to do something really the other end of that, I just wanted to do something really optimistic and just really fun and 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 light. But I do my natural space is 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 definitely in the horror stuff, and I've always been. I was always that kid as well. Well, I think I think my mum just made Halloween's too fun. Yeah, she used to deck oh, yeah. the house out in like cotton wool, That's cobwebs, cool. and spiders, and sort of six foot witch decorations and and all this kind of stuff and i don't think i ever look back from there that's awesome now halloween is my favorite holiday as well yeah i deck my house out as well it's just i don't know all that dark creepy stuff it i don't know what what it is about it right like we just like being scared or creeped out yeah (laughs) i I have i have i have really sort of (laughs) like i overthink all of this stuff and i i think there's also a side of horror where horror is less Although it, can, it very much can, but it, it it's less inclined to lead toward lead towards sort of conservative outcomes than than mm-hmm. most other genres, yeah. just because it's intrinsically dealing with things that are like traumatic and things that are you know very sort of deep, mm-hmm. uh, you know, deep within us, deep and primal, but also don't need like most stories are about some form of overcoming or some form of learning, and horror can kind of invert that mm-hmm. um a lot easier than, than than most other genres and just sort of say you know this is something that, that this is, these are the things that that destroy us and these are the things that that we cannot get over and we cannot which i think is also you know very worth and and very worthy looking at because it's it's facts of life mm. and if we if we sort of think we can overcome everything and and you know as long as we face our fears they won't bother us anymore then when they do come back around to kick our ass, you know, in, in, in sort of low moments or, or anything else, then, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we feel lied to by our stories. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think our stories should lie to us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why, you know, with horror films, there's also this feeling of, you know, redemption. You know, there's always like a redemption arc in in the film or the book or whatever that that you can appreciate because that's, you know, it gives you something to root for. And then you also tend to, you know, you put yourself into 
the story and think, what would I do? You know, how would I react? Would I, you know, run or, you know, hide or whatever you would, you know, would react as a human being in one of those situations when your adrenaline gets going. So I think it's interesting how we can kind of like sort of re not relive, but, you know, kind of imagine like what that would be like, but still from the safety of our own couch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's definitely that sort of cathartic element and, Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, even, even, I think even when they don't get out of it, we can still kind of get that catharsis from it because (laughs) it's sort of, we're the ones who have been at, at that point, we're the ones who've sort of gone somewhere dark and into the unknown and watched, you know, seen something, something traumatic like unfold and we we emerge from that and we have to struggle with it i also think it's probably why the sort of early 2000s torture porn Mm. sort of movement was kind of intrinsically uninteresting right (laughs) because it was once it's sort of siding once you're sort of siding with the or supposed to sort of you're sort of put more on the voyeur side and Mm -hmm. you're entirely on that on on you know, seeing it through the eyes of the of the killers and things. It's like, it, it can work, it can be fine, but it's not as cathartic, it's not as interesting. It's, no. I think, fooling ourselves into, into thinking we're more in control yeah. than we are. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I, I like more of the classic horror films. I mean, there, to be honest, there hasn't been a lot of newer stuff that I've been like, oh, it's really good. You know, I like The Shining, you know, and then the mm-hmm the Friday the 13th movies and the Halloween movies. And I feel like those were just, well, they're nostalgic for one thing too, of course, but I just liked those, that classic sort of simplistic storytelling, you know, rather than some of these new ones that have come out are just so over the top. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think, I think shining is, is, is wildly complex. I mean, that was, that was one of our, our huge touchstones for, for homesick pilots. The, the idea that the, the Overlook Hotel is basically, it's basically inside of Jack Torrance's head. It's, oh, wow. it's his it's his demons, and you know, that's <laughs> that's what's being confronted. You're walking around inside someone's head and and seeing their ghosts, uh, and that that was our our big sort of idea with homesick pilots is the idea of a, a haunted house is a, a single psyche, mm-hmm. um, basically like it's it's a metaphor for the for the mind, and and ghosts are ghosts are traumas, which I think which I think is 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 a lot of. I think that's the primary thing, the thing that ghosts are there as a metaphor for, or at least have been historically. And yeah, I also think that a lot, there's been a few quite prominent recent examples that have really kind of messed up with that metaphor mm-hmm. uh, in, in quite major ways in that, in that they sort of use that metaphor, but because they want to round out their stories in, in satisfying mm-hmm. audience friendly ways, it becomes about, if you confront your trauma and, and, you know, you sort of face it head on and then, then you overcome it. And that's just not how trauma works. Right. <laughs> um, you don't overcome it. You you can learn to live with it and you can learn to walk with it and you can learn to, to make it work for you if you're, if you're very, very lucky, but you can't, yeah. it, it's still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does, which is just why I think, the Babadook, I think the Babadook is a, is a brilliant film recent recent horror film oh i haven't seen that one yet no it's okay (laughs) i'll I'll watch it anyways (laughs) i mean oh if it's a good film that's a great one yeah i think that was a really good from the last couple of years okay good yeah no i i haven't seen 
I haven't seen any good ones lately. I, you know, actually this Halloween, I just watched all of my old favorites because I was like, <laughs> you know what, <laughs> I'm just going to sit here and watch, you know, the campy, the campy ones, like the faculty and H2O and yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, those, man, <laughs> I wish I wish the woman in black too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so I'm so I'm such a so starved for anything period any period ghost thing I'm an absolute sucker for. Are you? Yeah. What was the other one that was it was actually better than I thought it was going to be. I think it was called the The Others with yeah. I mean that movie uh, like when you know when it first came out and you watch it for the first time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I had no clue that they were the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, the first time. Yeah, I mean, I watched that film quite young. Yeah, we watched it. We watched it in school. I can't remember why we watched oh, it in school. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what teacher was just you know had a hangover that day or, or whatever. <laughs> like watch this. <laughs> yeah, it was the only the only the only VHS that they had. <laughs> that yeah. I would I would guess. <laughs> you know what? It might have been in. Re- I'm, I'm genuinely thinking about it. I went to I went to a very Catholic school, and it might have been. In, I think it was in religious studies. We watched. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this is what not. Yeah, to this do. is. Yeah, this is. If you're if you're not good, if you're not good Catholic boys, this is why. Yeah. <laughs> can just show you the Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny well I, I also want to talk to you about your other comic because you have two coming out in december yes, which is awesome yeah. busy guy your your other comic the picture of everything else <laughs> yeah <laughs> no but this is a really cool and interesting take on oscar wilde's story and gray character yeah. yeah what inspired you to tell this version of the story i just think there's a lot of potential in that concept which hasn't really been explored i think when people go back to dorian gray and and use it for other things as they inevitably do because it's public domain (laughs) they tend to fixate on dorian Mm -hmm. as this sort of you know because it's that sort of late victorian era and and there's the sort of the whole decadent angle and they go oh look at this sort of you know, it's it's a beautiful young man. It's very very romantic. You know, immortal beautiful young man who does horrible things and and doesn't age because because he has this this immortal painting of himself in his attic. And yeah, that that bit's great. But no one, I've never seen anyone talk about the guy who painted the immortal painting. Right. <laughs> like, that guy, that guy's way more interesting. He he, you know, he painted it. And and you know, if you if you go through the book, he's also clearly. Uh, there's clearly a lot of Oscar Wilde in him as well. Like I think people think that Dorian is, is Wilde's interpretation of himself. I don't think it is at all. I think Dorian is far closer to Bosey, who was Oscar mm-hmm. Wilde's you know young lover who in, basically entirely caused his downfall. Mm. Whose whose father was the was the one who sued Oscar Wilde into 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 prison. Oh, interesting. And which which basically destroyed his entire reputation and 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 essentially killed him. He died. He died two or three years later in in mm. poverty in France. So I think, but but Bosey was notoriously, you know, he he was sort of always having sort of outbursts and and mm-hmm. screaming at Oscar and and treating him like crap, really. And <laughs> Oscar was, you know, Wilde was really devoted. To, and I think. If you read the novel, Basil Howard, who's the the guy who paints the picture, everything else is really devoted to, to, to Dorian, <laughs> and I think there's more of Wild in Howard than there than there probably is in Dorian. 
Yeah. Um, so being, you know, being a writer and all writers being narcissists, I wanted to sort of <laughs> dig in on the writer or the, the artist character in, in, in that. But also I just thought it was such a ripe uh, sort of metaphor uh, for, for, for looking at all sorts of things. The idea that you, could, you can paint things that, um, mm-hmm. that do not change or you can change things. You could, you could change the paintings. Okay. Things could happen. So are you sort of like exploring that theme of that old adage, you know, where art imitates life? Yeah. And, and sort of vice versa, right? So it's, it's definitely about that. But, the, the you know, we call it the picture of everything else because it's also about the idea that it's about everything else. I'm always a bit mm-hmm. wary of art just being about art because, mm-hmm. you know, art is, a, art is this, you know, I, I think one of the things worth living for and you know why why would we do it otherwise <laughs> it's so it's yeah. so difficult <laughs> <laughs> right why do we so torture difficult. ourselves <laughs> yeah why do we do it um but you know it's but it's also the most rewarding thing you can mm-hmm. you can do and also i think the most rewarding you know it's it's one of the things i think makes makes life worth living yeah. um so but it's but part of the reason it you know it is it is all of these things is because it's it's something with which we can communicate. It, I mean, that's that's what it primarily is, right? It's a form of communication, and it's it's a way of like talking to each other about anything and things that are are hard to articulate. You know, that's I always think like the sort of the the, the best works of art, ones that communicate something, are able to communicate from from the creator to the to the audience something something that would be really difficult to just put into into a couple of words. You know, be it a feeling or an emotion, or those are the same thing. But be it be it a feeling, or be it a sort of you know just a sense of a place or a time or, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, or just like you know this is how it was, this is this is or this is how I feel, or, or you know th- those those are the really worthwhile things uh, that that art can do. So I'm always very wary of art becoming just about itself. Mm-hmm. I've always I've always very much liked the sort of you know over the top postmodern stuff which does collapse into that sort of navel gazing but if we just do that all the time then I think we're really missing the opportunities that art gives us because art it, right. it it's supposed to be about everything else yeah well and it's you know like about the human connection and like you were saying I think some things get really caught up in the actual setting or the genre or the, you know, the light flickering in the fog, but forgot to realize that you need a character to drive the plot and oh. to, you know, make people interested. I think, I think it can also get, I think art can also get very neurotic about its own limitations. Mm-hmm. Like the amount of comics that I've read that, that do the sort of meta thing, you know, that, that become sort of metafiction and sort of acknowledge that they are, comics or the characters know that they're in a comic or, or whatever but how mm. often those become about justifying the existence of comics i find strange yeah <laughs> it's like it's like all right it doesn't have to be you know we don't have to justify it. we're here we, you know we're here we've we've bought it we've bought into this whole thing you don't need to to justify why we're here but i, but I think i think a lot of prose does that as well right when, when it becomes about itself and it becomes about writers and it becomes about writing and it becomes about oh you know the sort of angst of 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 am I writing something that's worthwhile? Is this is this <laughs> true? Not? I mean, it's, I can see why it's such an easy thing to fall into as well when when you're a writer and, right. <laughs> and you really want to communicate truth, and then it you know I, that, I can see how easily that becomes a feedback loop. Yeah. <laughs> it's like is this art worthwhile? That's my truth, and therefore I'm going to make more art about is this art worthwhile? And you know that that's a sort yeah. of 
There I go. You just described my inner dialogue now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I say it because I, because I recognize it. (laughs) You know, I know it. I felt it. But yeah, I don't know know if that even answers the question. (laughs) No, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) No, you definitely did. But yeah, no, it's just a, it's a cool concept. Just taking it from a completely different, you know, like you were saying, a different take on it that nobody ever has focused on, you know, and past interpretations and there there's a lot of possibilities when you start exploring stories in that way you know like what they did with you know pride and prejudice and zombies and abraham lincoln vampire hunter you know when you start taking these twists on historical figures or literary characters are there other ideas now after writing this one like or is your head going like, oh, I could do this, you know, with that? Or do you have any <laughs> ideas for, you know, future comics based on like reimaginings? You know what? I actually do have one of, but I won't talk about it because I because I think it's probably going to happen. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> so, so yes, is is the is the boring short cool. answer. <laughs> Perfect. So we'll have to have you on again so we yeah, can talk about exactly. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even wanting more. That's right. <laughs> Do you find it more challenging to work on your own material or is it easier like compared to writing in an already established universe such as Sandman? It's a good question. It is different when you're when you're doing something from the ground up. I mean, I, I guess you could argue that the picture of everything else is a little bit more similar to something like Sandman in that I am, you know, we are considering the, the novel, Wilde's mm-hmm. novel to be to be essentially our canon. So that's true. It, yeah, it does. It does carry on from that. I mean, it's 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 always interesting. I don't know. I just I think I think my, my the short answer is it's just different. Mm-hmm. Uh, building something from the ground up is is a joy, and it's why you get into. I, I or at least I think it should be why you get into into doing this is to sort of create worlds and and play God and and be a mm-hmm. lunatic narcissist. <laughs> um, whereas getting going into the other sandboxes especially ones like sandman or or the dcu which are which are technically the same thing mm-hmm. but they have that there is there's a sort of joy and i think there are certain ideas that work better with that weight of history behind them okay you know and, and these sort of mythos that that have grown through hundreds and hundreds of writers and, and artists all doing doing things in a shared space like there's there's just a joy to that yeah um that's cool. Yeah, it's cool I that enjoy, you get to I work. Both yeah, it's cool that you get to work on both. You get to, you know, do your own thing, but then you can also be part of these shared universes as well. Yeah, it's definitely nice to sort of like dip in and out and then have your own your own thing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And then I did see something on Twitter today that you shared. Can you tell us anything about the story you're working on for the Razorblade Horror Anthology? Yeah, I don't don't see why not. I don't think. I don't, think James, or... I don't think James or Steve are gonna sort of fly in and <laughs> <laughs> James James has Batman on his side now, so, so that's a little bit, nice. bit nerve wracking. But I mean that's actually now that you mention it, that is another horror another horror thing, uh, obviously because it's razor blades, but it's also mm-hmm. another historical historical figure. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a story about Sweeney Todd. Oh yay. Um, awesome. And the sort of I think there's a very different a sort of knowledge base of, of that character between sort of I don't know if it's just London or or, or Britain and the sort of American interpretation because because when I sort of talked mm. to I talked to James and Steve the, the editors at Razorblades about 
the character they're just like oh well like yeah we know the the musical and that's where that's where we we will know him from right whereas in in like both lucy and i we, like, we're talking about sweeney todd and and sweeney todd song you hear about when you're a kid it's kind of like an like an urban legend thing um oh, especially wow. if, you're, if you're in london and you know you, you sort of know those streets my dad used to work close to fleet street so i knew that was a real place and there but there are also a lot of people who believe that sweeney todd's a historical figure mm-hmm. um which he's not right <laughs> not at all. He, you know he comes from he comes from a penny dreadful and a really bad one as well like i've <laughs> i've tried to read it i tried to read it for, for this thing like the whole way through and it's just not worth it oh. um it's one it's very much one of those sort of written written you know week by week for the paycheck and oh god <laughs> if we if we need to spend you know 50 pages talking about a sailor just to get the paycheck then we're gonna do it but Bad idea <laughs> uh, yeah well you know i guess people be <laughs> right <writers> never change <laughs> but yeah this 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 idea that as a kid as a kid i knew he was fictional but i then you know i'm, I'm, I'm talking about as, as quite a quite a young kid like maybe seven or eight Oh wow! And I knew this. I knew this story, but I knew it was fictional. But then there were adults and like teachers and stuff who would who would insist to me that it was real. <laughs> it's a scary. <laughs> no, 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 because they believed that it was real. Because oh, um, wow. because th- there is this sort of a lot of people just assume. And my and I, I remember talking to my dad about it, and he was like, "Oh, I I, I thought that was real as well." <laughs> and I mean, like, as in within the last couple of months, because I was doing the story, I, I was like, "Oh, do you remember me talking about Sweeney Todd as a kid?" And he was like, "Oh, I, I still thought that was a real thing." So, so it's a weird that I think, especially as a kid, that's a very weird space to find yourself in, where you sort of know something's, or, or you're convinced something's fictional, and then people who trust and, and who have authority and, and should know better than you are telling mm-hmm. you that it's real, and it's a weird sort of almost dreamlike confusion um, yeah. for a child. And yeah, so that's kind of what the story's about. <laughs> Okay. So are you reliving any trauma in writing it? <laughs> just bafflement. Yeah. <laughs> Child, not childhood trauma, just childhood sort of bafflement. Well, good. Well, and when is that coming out? Uh, I think that's going to be in the winter winter edition. So okay. um, it should be December. Awesome. That's great. And so, I mean, you mentioned briefly that you worked on, I think you said Superman, but have you, have you ever thought about tackling another genre other than horror like with your own material yeah for sure um i have have i I mean limbo wasn't really horror right (laughs) i I think the thing that interests me about doing horror in comic oh no i'm just gonna talk about horror again Uh, (laughs) so we're not horror go for Uh, it (laughs) the thing that interests me about horror in comics is that i don't think straight up horror horror works in comics you don't have jump scares in comics you don't have you don't have the sort of surprise which prose can can do because you know words can sneak up on you but the picture you can kind of see it in a peripheral before you mm-hmm. before you get to the next panel so you can't make people jump that's true yeah i never comic. thought about it that way yeah um so when you do horror in comics you have to plug it into other things and you have to work around that kind of that kind of thing which is which i think is why i always i which is why I like doing horror in comics because it always makes you kind of innovate mm-hmm. uh, if if you want to do something interesting. But that also means that I end up plugging other genres into it. Like Homesick Pilots is you know it has that sort of nineties teen angst stuff, and mm-hmm. the picture of everything else is definitely a sort of uh, 
historical drama as well. Some steampunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, like Lucifer went went all over the place. You know, <laughs> it let us let us sort of tell any kind of story. Yeah, I I, I like the sort of trappings of horror. I yeah, very much like other things. I would say sort of ninety percent of the stuff I read isn't horror. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> I, Do I think you... at, the moment, at the moment I'm kind of caught up on ghosts and ghosts oh. as a as a concept, and I don't think those I don't think ghost stories have to be horror stories at all. That's true. You know, we're we're all very haunted things, and I don't think most of us are that scary, really. Yeah, well, I even think that like with with lock and key, for example, yeah. uh, it's it's not really about ghosts, but it has a ghost like feel. I yeah. guess I would, I would say lock, lock and key is also a very good example of of what I'm saying about you can't do sort of scary horror in, mm-hmm. in in comics because lock and key doesn't really try to either it's it it feels very joe hill you know the way his like horror novels do mm-hmm. um and it, and it does feel quite quite stephen king but you know in its sort of trappings but it's not sort of focused on the horror stuff um at least once you get past that first book it it, it really opens up and it tells all kinds of stories mm-hmm. yeah. yeah once you get past the initial like shock of what's happening it gets <laughs> blood it gets and guts more, at the beginning yeah, yeah it gets more into like just the story of the family itself yeah i mean it has a calvin and hobbes issue <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly it's like group therapy really <laughs> do you think you'll ever write uh, a novel actually like a horror novel have you ever wanted to or yeah i i kept making i kept making noise about getting a novel done before i was 30 and i now have two months so that's not going to happen okay. <laughs> but yeah i've started one um which which i'm which i'm determined to finish which is which isn't a horror novel at all i i, I think when i when i do genre stuff it, it it pushes i push towards horror very very naturally but i think when i do prose it it tends to it tends to be a little bit more i don't know it's it's still it's still in the but, realm of something maybe like like Vonnegut. I love that kind of stuff. I love yeah. that kind of stuff. I love Pratchett. So, yeah, so, so, so you know, and I love sort of Don DeLillo and David Foster Wallace and all that sort of mm-hmm. vaguely pretentious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, very interesting stuff. So, yeah, I think that will probably be where you'll see me push away from horror the quickest. Right. Okay. You never know. You might, once you make the, you know, do the first novel, and get the you know the hang of it, the feel for it. You'll you'd be surprised. You might you might want to start. Oh, maybe I could do this in horror or sci-fi, even. You know. <laughs> yeah. Then the, the second one will just all be just hatchets. Just yeah. <laughs> just body parts. Just chopping people up. That's it. <laughs> A true horror novel. <laughs> horror into itself. So, a random question: If you could live inside any of the worlds you've created, which one would it be? Oh. <laughs> so it's an interesting question for a horror writer. <laughs> I know. <right? laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. There's always the interesting sort of, of of side of it where I guess, like in homesick pilots, there are ghosts and they do some scary things. But I guess if you have straight up ghosts like that, you've you've got proof of an afterlife, which would be nice. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess that. I mean picture everything else is, is very much like our world but with serial killer painters <laughs> nice <laughs> well before i let you go i just wanted to do some fun random questions just five quick fire ones star wars or star trek neither neither okay 
favorite Game of Thrones character? Oh, I mean, there's like a hundred to choose from, but no, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, it's just Jon Snow is the really boring one, isn't it? But it's a good character. He's a good one. Yeah. Good arc. <laughs> yeah. Good arc. <laughs> nice. Coffee or tea? Aria. 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 Yeah. yeah. <laughs> coffee, uh, or, coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. I drink gallons of both, but I, I, I wouldn't survive without coffee. Nice. Do you have any tattoos? Yes. How I many? Three or four. I always meant to get more, and then I just lost interest. <laughs> And uh, lastly, your favorite Batman actor portrayal. I'm very much looking forward to Patterson because mm. mainly based off how he basically played psychotic Bruce Wayne already in Cosmopolis. <laughs> I don't know. I might have to go. I might have to go right back to Adam West. It's just. Oh, yeah. It's just joy. <laughs> it's yeah. just, I love it so much. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad you didn't you didn't say like you know <laughs> one of the other ones that we won't mention. But <laughs> yeah, I, you know I think Michael Keaton's version actually is very underrated. It was I, I, yeah. I mean Keaton's fantastic yeah. in anything. Yeah, I mean it was sort of a you know at the time it was a I remember it was a big hit when it came out, big blockbuster. But I, I think he did a good job. You know, considering I mean it's evolved so much from since then and. It's gotten pretty dark. <laughs> Darker. Yeah, I, can only, I can only imagine, like, when that film was announced, the sort of, like, it must have been a fair bit of bafflement that Keaton was cast, right? Like, because mm-hmm. he he's a comedian. Yeah. And, and like, a rom-com, you yeah. know, a lot of romantic stuff, yeah. But, yeah, no, I mean, I mean, the fact that he's still kind of doing, you know, the the amount of sort of legacy he has from, from that film, and, you know, obviously it's, you know, sort of, intertextual mm-hmm. with with how they cast him as the vulture and birdman and like all of these sort of things like it's it's still you know mm-hmm. he he really sent like a shockwave out with that with that role um yeah and it, it had it's sort of like a yeah with birdman it, it kind of like re it gave it like a resurgence you know people you know that were younger that you know hadn't seen it i think went back and watched it you know that maybe didn't even you know bother beforehand so yeah, I think he did a good job, and Christian Bale, of course, did a great job too. But yeah, I mean, Christian Bale is so similar to similar to the Robert Patterson thing. Like, I, I've always been convinced that they cast Christian Bale because of his American Psycho role. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, I, I do find it interesting that we've had two Batman actors who who've played sort of psychotic city guys in the very recent past when they're cast as Batman. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I think they brought. It brings like more of a, I guess, like an edgier, you know, role to it. I, I'm, you know, because I think with the comics, people think that comic books, especially with superheroes, that a lot of them are light and fluffy or whatever. But when you start reading the different variations of Batman that are out there, there are some really dark and twisted, you know, Batman stories. So yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think he's got to have he's got to have some crazy behind the eyes, right? If he's going yeah. to dress up like a bat and like beat people up. Yeah, exactly. It's got to, and it's got to be a good Bruce Wayne too, right? Yeah, I mean that's the guy he's dressing up like a bat. So play the you got to believe that he get away with it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know it's super late, and you're probably wanting to go to sleep at this point. I really appreciate you coming on, especially with the time difference. I had a blast talking to you. It was really, really fun. So thank you for coming on. Uh, thanks very much for having me. 
Yeah. So everybody make sure to get a copy of Homesick Pilots on December 9th. And then the picture of everything else is on December 12th. Dan Waters, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. And we're back. You know, so this is Dan's second time on the show. He was actually on almost a year ago exactly to today, uh, December 8th of last year. He was on the show talking with Jeff about Lucifer and his book, Coffin Brown. And, Coffin Brown? Coffin Bound, not Coffin Brown. Um, <laughs> it was probably then, a brown coffin. <laughs> I mean, statistically, statistically speaking, it's probably a brown coffin, yes. <laughs> um, but that was that was 304 episodes ago, which is kind of insane that between now and last year, we've, put up, we've released over 300 episodes. But – yeah, it's cool that he came back on and talked to more. Um, I, I really enjoyed the last interview he did. I enjoyed this one with you and uh, I, I look forward to him coming back on the talk again. Yeah, so do I. Yeah, it was it was really fun. And, and we talked about some of his older stuff, too, as you just heard. So that's kind of nice. We get to hear a little bit of a Lucifer talk as well. Yeah, Lucifer is, a, Lucifer is such a good series in the comics. And the, the show's good, too. I like the show, but the comics are so good. Yeah, well, it's such a difference. Uh, You know, the show is really campy and it's entertaining, but the comics are dark and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting back to like that horror genre that he does so well. So, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. For sure. I need to check out some of his new stuff because they sound amazing. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. (laughs) Uh, They come out uh, December 9th and uh, December 12th. So, yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So now it's it's, today is the 3rd of December. You have plenty of time to go out and order those and tell your LCS about those because you definitely want to pick those up because you don't want to sleep on anything Dan writes because it's good stuff. Yep. And with that, I think that's a show. I think that if you liked that listening out there, all you listeners, if you like what you heard here with Melissa talking with Dan or just with Dan or just Melissa, whichever one you want there, uh, go over to spoilerverse.com and check out all of our back issues because we've got over 500 episodes of interviews of movie reviews comic reviews of just conversations and topics a, a lot of interviews you've been doing a lot of those lately and they're a lot of fun but go check them out we got tons of people up there you may know people you may not know that you will learn about and then go support them because they're all awesome because we only have okay. awesome people on the show that's for sure and right. uh, um you know, we have other podcasts on, on the network too we've got bridging the geek domes and misery point radio and over on my other podcast haphazard of interest right now for the month of december my wife and I are doing an episode every day where we review, we picked up the Brewer's Advent Calendar from Costco, and we're reviewing the beer each day as we go through the Advent Calendar for the, for the month of December, which is a lot of fun. Um, oh, cool. Which means we get to try some check. weird German beer every day. <laughs> I'm totally going to listen to that. that. That sounds really cool. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun because neither my wife nor I really know anything about beer besides like how to drink it, you know? <laughs> So we're always like trying to talk it up and like, yeah, it's a, it's a beer with a light hint of pomegranate and like reading the app, what it says it is. And like, I mean, like we have no idea what the hell any of this means. (laughs) (laughs) The tasting notes. Right. It tastes like beer to me, (laughs) but it's a lot of fun. But we did it it last year and we're doing it again this year and it's it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, it's over at Half Ass Adventures. Um, We also have more stuff on the site. Most of what, what else is on the site? Well, we have some really cool merchandise. Uh, you can get yourself a Spoiler Country hoodie like I have and mm. mugs and hats and t-shirts and all kinds of fun stuff so you can sport our gear. Yeah, and that, that, all that money goes back to help support the site and everything we do here because if you ever try to do a podcast, you know it's not free, but it's free for everybody listening and it's a lot of fun though. Um, but yeah, so do that. Also, go to scpod.us slash discord and join our public discord server. Come chat with us. We got some uh, contests I'm going to be doing here pretty soon, so you definitely want to get over there and get involved in that. 
And with that, I think that's a show. I think just one thing left for us to do. I think so. In Notions of Podcasts. We are Cthulhu. And as Cthulhu compels you to do. Open the mind. And read more. And just read a lot. Because the more you read, the more open your mind is. And the more you are open to more conversations. Absolutely. The more you know. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.